that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola. Full house today here on the Italian American Podcast. I am joined by the notorious P.O.B. Pat O'Boyle, Ms. Rosella Rago, and the foundress of the Italian American Podcast, Dolores Alfieri Taranto. Some of my best friends and a real pleasure to spend an afternoon talking about a topic that I think is going to be a lot of fun. So, guys, wonderful to be together again. Could I make a public thank you? I want to thank everyone who came out from Madonna Ramont, who came to Clifton. I want to thank all the listeners who came. And I want to thank every, it's too many to mention everybody, but you know who you are. You're very near and dear to my heart. I'm happy to call you friends. I'm honored to call you friends. And the same goes out to all those, many of whom, majority of whom, almost all of whom I've never met, who made a financial contribution to the GoFundMe. That's so nice. So I want to thank you all. I knocked on your door and you listened. Yeah. Now, some of you, some of you didn't open the door, but some of you did. <laughs> for, all those, for all those who opened the door and were very generous, um, some of you out there were exceedingly generous. And, I, and I, I didn't even know I knew you. And you were very kind. And I want to thank you. And I have a plan for a real big upgrade next year. And your money is going to be the financing of that upgrade. So thank you from the heart. I thank you. I, you, you, I mean, I was sick this week, so I didn't get to come out. But you said, and everybody who I've talked to has said, you guys had a, a ton of people and you had a lot of listeners there. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. That's wonderful. The neighborhood actually came out and I'm very thankful, very grateful and very appreciative. Well, it's a, it's a recurring feast every year in May. So if you didn't make it this year, you, next year, yeah. God willing, yeah. God willing, I, I got I'm hoping all the cash comes to fruition. We'll be able to have a really big upgrade. And you can all come and see the upgrade. And a huge part of that upgrade is thanks to your dollars. So thank you. You know, I owe you donations for the past three years. I didn't realize in miscommunication that I was supposed to do the wires. And I never, never did them. So all these years you've been saying how, oh, thank you. So I've never sent you anything. So I owe you for <laughs> three, three years of feast donations. The friend tax, if you will. Don't worry. I'm checking that wire every day. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I'm, take, I'm you checking. Know. Take you know care of that wire because I check it every day. Every you know day I'm me. like, did the wire come in yet? The wire come in yet? Yeah, Ralph, you know, check the wire come in yet? Yeah, I got to get it out. Yeah, but it's been a while for me because I, I'm, I, I'm usually pretty bad with memory, but I'm really bad re- recently because I am just getting over COVID, and I have to say I have totally understand now this COVID brain thing. I am, I'm at a loss for words sometimes. I'm using the wrong word. It's been, oh man, you got to do the Italian thing and use it to your benefit. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. Like when you tell someone, you know, <laughs> That's my, my grandmother, my mother pulled my whole life. <laughs> they get mad at you. They argue with you. They call you horrible names. And then they deny it and say that you hallucinated it. That's, you know so that. now you could say, oh, no, I don't remember. Did I ever say that? No, I don't remember. You know, that's my favorite story you ever tell is when you discovered your Fignoli allergy. Yeah, that's got to be a special episode. <laughs> Those of you who were not raised in an Italian Orthodox home, we're not going to understand how verbal abuse can just be dismissed. <laughs> just totally and it's just forgot. Call you a horrible, terrible name. Wow. That was really well said. <laughs> and it's just like, well, I said, you know, I hate your guts. I hope you die. I fall off a cliff. I never should have had you. You're a pig in the <laughs> oh, slob. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I never said that. Yep. <laughs> My mother, Hurricane Angela, as I like to refer to her, 
uh, at least once a day says, nobody loves me. I should just kill myself. Why am I alive for? I'm going to leave. I'm going to move to Florida. Then I'm going to move to Italy. Then, you know, the, every the, you're all worthless. Well, I'm going to I'm going to move and leave and not give you my address. Yeah. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. Horrible. They, That's they, it. They... Because you guys will only care when I'm dead. Uh, and then 10 minutes later, it's like, so what are we going to have for dinner? Of course, it's normal. But people would have to be prepared here for that conversation. We'd have to have, I've never had a disclaimer or I've advised to have a disclaimer on this show. They'd have to be disclaimed because they, it, unless you had it, you'll never understand it. As, as we say often on the show, that is a whole nother episode because mm -hmm. that one is the therapist couch for the community on steroids, really. That's like the. S somebody did a fantastic article for the Chicago Tribune. I have to find it. It was during the Soprano years when Italian American issues were regularly in, you know, standard newspapers and he wrote that he was an italian i think he was from somewhere in campania in chicago and he brought his medigon girlfriend home and his mother and his sisters got in a fight and they wished death on themselves or i should drop dead or you should drop dead and they're yelling and screaming and then 10 minutes this is a true story 10 minutes later they're eating <laughs> like, oh what do you want to eat and his his <laughs> girlfriend was like first she was going to call the cops and she's like but how did they and then she thought they were never going to speak again and then they were eating and she's like, she was totally mystified by the entire experience. <laughs> but that is a very Neapolitan. Oh, that's the whole other thing. Cursing dead relatives. Yeah. That's mm. another Neapolitan. Yeah. The biggest bodies thing ever. <laughs> yeah. You're, really, my, yeah cursing your mother's. My grandma said, Kita mortestram. I mean, she would yeah. grab her, yeah. her face and twist her cheeks while she was going, Kita mortestram mort, which is cursing my dead relatives. And I used to say to her, how could you say that about your own mother? Then she'd go berserko. <laughs> oh, you can't go you can't inflict logic into that path. No, That's, you can't. No. Like she would, she would like Neapolitan has a lot of mother curses, like your mother's yeah. this and your mother's that. I gotta keep it PG if your kids are listening. And then I'd say to my grandma, how could you say that about your daughter's fill in the blank? And then she'd go berserk again. Yeah. We found an entire book of them when we were in Naples, Pat and I. Sure. Your mother's chestnuts. That's my favorite because it's sort of polite. Yeah. It's like not that it's not yeah. that vulgar. Your mother's chestnuts. Your mother's cabbage. Yeah. But then it descends from there. Then it it's a very vulgar language, Neapolitan. Oh, it's horrible. Very, very vulgar. Yeah, it is. My mother never said uh, mortis to mort, And she actually really doesn't like that phrase. We haven't had an aunt who used to say it a lot. And she she would tell her, like, don't say that. Like, it's not. How much more vulgar could you get, really, than than cursing somebody's dead ancestors? I mean, that's pretty yeah. vulgar. Yeah. I could count on my hand how many. I remember I lived with my grandma my entire life. I could count until I was 21. She, she passed away suddenly when I was 21. Um, I can count on one hand, even maybe my without even a thumb, how many times she went into Kida Morte, Stramorte territory. <laughs> but that was an eruption of yeah. unprecedented to go into the Kida Morta Stramorta was like death con one. Is that like the nuclear <laughs> launch? <laughs> that was like go hide somewhere. Mm -hmm. I just remember one time her by the kitchen sink just exploding with that. She was looking up as if there was an, an apparition, like God was coming down. From, like she, I don't know what I and I probably did something stupid. Mm. It didn't take those reactions sometimes were triggered by really nonsensical things. Like she snapped. You, you couldn't really get Yeah, They snapped. <laughs> it's funny that you say that, right? I mean, sometimes I wish we could just turn on the mic and have our friend conversations like this and then decide what the episode is afterwards, right? Because so much of our real conversations are like this. But you're talking about this Italian overreaction to what is otherwise deemed inconsequential. And it's a very third rail territory, right? Because Italy is such a unique culture and it has so many kind of quirky 
rules, right? I find it fascinating that Italy is a country where normal rules, let's say, like waiting in line or paying your taxes, they are brushed off. But there are so many unspoken rules that the visitor or even the returning Italian-American who perhaps hasn't had a chance to really explore Italy violates and they go nuts. I found this article and it inspired me want to talk about this episode today. And it was a YouGov poll that polled all these different, you know, 20 nations around the world. And of course, they found that Italy was far and away the world's most popular cuisine. But they also found Italians had the most unwritten rules about uh, how you should eat it, not how you should prepare it necessarily, but sort of, I guess, prepare and, and mostly how you should eat your individual portion of food. They went into great depth polling the people around the world and trying to prove that the Italians were the only ones who thought these things were crazy. And so I thought it'd be great to digest it because I remember going to Rome one time with my parents, I think Nicole and my parents, and we were had been walking and we really couldn't find a place to eat. So we kind of stumbled into anywhere and it was a Roman restaurant. And so obviously the menu was you know exclusively Roman. And uh, I think my dad got cacio pepe or carbonara, something like that, and asked for crushed red pepper and they wouldn't give it to him. The waiter was like, looked at him like he had just <laughs> defecated on the table and they actually brought the chef out and the chef. Oh, oh, wow. oh, yeah. And he was like, no, you can't put that. And my father's usually pretty passive. So he just kind of. But where, you know, where did this happen in Rome? In Rome. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a Roman dish. That's why they got. Yeah. So, I mean, they get yeah. the, the Italian defensiveness is regional. In Calabria, they probably would have brought it over in a, in a dump truck because they got so much hot pepper. <laughs> sure, sure. I think if your father asked that in Calabria, they'd be like even impressed because Calabria sure. puts hot pepper on their Wheaties. You know, they they, <laughs> I, they have like uh, cereal in Calabria that has hot pepper. Yeah. A picante Cheerio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, but I just think it's amazing that even in a case like that, right, where the, the question of sort of the customer is always right is the American mentality. And in Italy, it's I'm always right. You know, it's a who I'm the dictator of the taste. And I'm so I, I just I loved this article. It was in um, the Daily Telegraph and I saved it. Uh, that's an English newspaper. Yeah, sure. And so then they got their own view on stuff. They do. Certainly. Absolutely. They have a very weird relationship with Italy. They do, John. That's so well put. Yeah, always have. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. I feel the British have this very like you should have been one of our colonies. I mean, don't, you know, for so long, they occupied so much of Sicily and um, Malta, obviously, was British till after the Second World War. And, you know, Leghorn, Livorno was a kind of British colony. And gosh, so much of Tuscany was a uh, long time retreat for the Brits. And, you know, the, the Grand Tour, obviously, through Italy was their early university. So they have like a, they have a bit of a twisted, tortured relationship with the Italians. But um, the YouGov poll, you know, it was, it was pretty unbiased, right? It, it polled all these different countries everywhere from uh, Asia and Africa and uh, Europe and the U S and Canada. And the findings were really fascinating. So I want to go through just before we talk about each of these findings, I want to give you guys the sort of hit list, the the highest offenses as the Italians rank them. And then I'm going to, we're going to go into them all individually. So I'll just roll these off to get you in the mindset. Number one was ketchup on pasta. Number two was pasta being put in cold water and then bringing it to a boil, which just seems shocks me that it's so high. Number three was pineapple on pizza. Number four was serving pasta as a side dish. Number five was cutting pasta with a knife. Number six was putting cream in carbonara sauce. And number seven was using cheese on seafood pasta. And there's more after that that we're going to go through because I think they're important. But uh, some of these really surprised me, the, the reaction of how the Italians either 
went crazy or actually some of them that I thought they would go crazy. They were actually kind of like um, lackadaisical, like serving spaghetti with meatballs was actually acceptable to 75 percent of Italians, which is something we fight with all the time. That is surprising. Yeah. Yeah. So they do it because in certain parts of Italy, they do it. Yeah. Except when they come here, they tell us we're, we're like, you know, but ridiculous. I, I think we need to put those offenses in two categories. Some are, I mean, ketchup is disgusting on it. If you do it, I mean, please, come on. Ketchup on macaroni is disgusting. I agree with that. Well, yeah. I would give that capital crime stuff. Well, let me give you the numbers here. 89% of Italians said ketchup on pasta is unacceptable, right? So many countries thought it was acceptable. Germany, 52%. France, 50%. No further they- questions, Your Honor. Germany. <laughs> Germany is the enemy of all Italian food. They should be. I'm honestly shocked that only 89 percent of. Yes, I was just going to say that. I'm like, who are the 11 percent of Italians that said ketchup on pasta is okay? So seven percent said it was acceptable. Three percent said they didn't know, which is like I don't like don't know is a weird answer to these. You you have a you have a bias somewhere. Yeah. Wait, 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 Patrick. Yes. Who is the most beautiful actress that you've ever seen? That's complicated. Of all time, that's complicated. I don't know. That's a complicated. Who is the hottest supermodel you've ever seen in your entire life, Beth? I don't know. I don't your know. celebrity, you know. The I think the it depends on. Uh, I would say my years, Jennifer Aniston. My nineties, those eighties, nineties. I would you say. Finally, get to take Jennifer Aniston out on a date, and she puts ketchup on pasta. What do you do? Who cares? Well, <laughs> well who, who cares? <laughs> of course. Why would anybody care? He eats ketchup and pasta. <laughs> yes, that's that's right. what he does. Yes. Two servings. Are you hold on? Back up, back up, bro. Let's 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 put this in rewind. There's no man I know, heterosexual man I know, that would make that a disqualifying component to the evening. And absolutely none. <laughs> I have no I nobody. I mean, she could have put it. She could have put mustard. <laughs> she could have put dog food mixing. Nobody's going to care. <laughs> no, but nobody. That's, that's a complete. That, no, no, no. Nobody cares. Wow. All right. So you're eating ketchup and pasta. Hey, to each his own. I'm all about personal free. You go eat that. Good answer, Pat. Good answer. Hey, Sarah, Sarah. Now, I don't want it on mine. If she was going to go across the table and put it on mine, I'd say, no, thank you. Maybe I'd go along with it if I had to. Probably I would go along with it. Listen, you got one in Rome. Yep. If she was insistent, I'd say, yeah, pass over the Heinz 57. No problem. <laughs> I think it's disgusting. But if she's telling me to eat it, I'm going to eat it. That That's under those circumstances. And I bet you 99% of Italian men of that age group would have done the same thing. That's the beauty of Italy and the Italian men. They would have thrown those rules right out the window for that. That would have been <laughs> so, gone. It's a tough conundrum. Yeah. But tough. I think about this idea of ingredients like, yes, ketchup to me seems simply universally unacceptable. There's also the question about pineapple on pizza. And 77 percent of Italians said unacceptable. Yeah, but they'll put Nutella on a pizza. Exactly. Right. I can see that like hipster. Cra- but the rest of the world said, yes, you could eat it. It's t- highly acceptable. What bothers me about Italians with the pineapple on pizza thing is that they will also gladly eat pizza with chopped up hot dogs and french fries on it. That's true. I've seen that. Yep. It's not an offense if you call it versatile. If you say versatile, <laughs> they're fine with it for some bizarre reason. But if you say hot dog, they're just... And you know what they call it? They call it pizza a la americana. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I, I agree with you, Ro. That, I Look, I think pineapple on pizza is grotesque. I really do. I mean, I'm not a big pineapple guy to begin with, but uh, to me, the idea of fruit and sweets on pizza is just like totally... I, I'm not a big anything on pizza guy. I like either like a marinata, uh, margarita, 
maybe anchovies. That's like about it for me. So I'm a real purist. But yeah, I agree. Hot dogs and French fries. Can you imagine recooking that mealy, disgusting French fries? That's horrible. Who wants that? That's just so the least appealing thing you could ask for. But in every other country in the world, pineapples up there and, and even in Italy, hot dog and, and French fry pizza. Yeah. The difference is that Italy holds the equivalent of like moral high ground because it's cuisine. So, you know, like y- you can say in America, hot dog and French fries, totally unacceptable on pizza, but nobody cares. <laughs> right. Nobody gives us. No, you know what I mean? No, like nobody's Italians, following us. Yeah. Right. They take the high grounds. The greatest contribution that Rosella ever made to the discourse here, where I would have it in bronze and encrusted in diamonds. I would, I dare to say the greatest comment that ever came out of these podcasts was when Rose said, and Ro, you can requote it, Italy has become obsessive with food rules because that's all they have left. Mm-hmm. When I said that, I'm brilliant. Yeah, but it's true. <laughs> I mean, and to clarify for people who are out there, Italy used to be a leader in fashion, film, music, and for many reasons, Italy kind of, it's, it's like post-60s, Italy has really began to sink as a cultural icon as a as a country that is you know if you go through every period of history Italy was always in there and I'm not saying like you know the British Empire where they had a a, a physical empire in the sense of land and military and, and navy and stuff like that but post-Romans if, if, if it be with religion art culture music Italy was always a cultural powerhouse it never had a period when it wasn't but I think it's definitely in a decline and that's been since the 60s and I think when we had Karima Moyernochi on um, she backed it up 100 percent. It was the greatest connectivity moment or one of the greatest connectivity moments I've ever had on the podcast, because she's like, yes, Italy as a declining cultural power in the world has now as a reaction began to solidify, has become rigid the way that France is rigid, French food culture and and French linguistic culture, because they are trying to fight off the decline. Hmm. So they're trying to ossify the past. So, I mean, I think some of the stuff is ridiculous because there are parts in Italy that use cheese connected with fish. In the Cilento, they grate goat cheese, they mix it with egg, they make a paste out of it. Sometimes they put parsley in it and they stuff anchovies with it. It's phenomenal. Mm. They fry, it's phenomenal, right? Gosh, that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Right? Or they'll, they'll, <laughs> stuff, um, they'll stuff pepper with bread, hard grating goat cheese. Well, yeah, in Basilicata, um, we have a recipe like that. We, we have the sepia fish stuff with cheese and bread yeah. and eggs. It's delicious. Right. My mom stuffs peppers with that. Right. I just re- I just clicked. Yeah. So it's delicious. Yeah. So, you know, it's not the standard. And I, I got back and I fought with many people in discourses with this in Italy and the fact that the antecedent when, when spaghetti was made on the street, I mean, the condiment of spaghetti. So you'd have these big Naples, you'd have these big... Um, cauldrons of boiling spaghetti and people would scoop it out. This was kind of like street food. It's like the dirty water dog. Wow. Yeah, kind of. People would just put grated cheese on it. And the early uh, marriage of spaghetti with clams, like this, the vongole clams that everyone called the spaghetti and clam sauce, they were sprinkling cheese on it because that's what they were eating on the streets in Naples. Now, I personally don't like spaghetti and clam sauce. I personally would refrain from putting cheese on it because I think that the cheese and the clams are a combating flavor. But there is historical precedent. Well, it's interesting to see in this poll, I was actually surprised that 
cheese on seafood was only number seven and only 64% of the respondents in Italy took issue with this. I actually thought it'd be far more. I kind of thought that would be, I mean, ketchup makes sense as number one, but I, well, let me tell you why in certain parts, especially like in Puglia, but the thing is, I don't pretend to be an expert on the entire country of Italy, the way these people do when they come at me and they're like, Oh, questo in Italia non esiste. And I was like, did someone appoint you? The, the, the ambassador of all, like you've been to every village, every town, every family's house. You know that no one in Italy makes this, this way. You know, you just know, but that's not true. So the cheese on seafood thing gets knocked out because in some instances, especially with mussels, where I'm from, we put pecorino cheese on like, you know, the, 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 the mussels with like the breadcrumb topping. We put pecorino in that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That, that like that cheese on the on the seafood has never bothered me honestly maybe that's my upbringing in, in an americanized family in a lot of ways i guess but i i can also from an anthropological perspective understand that complicated history and you know pat you made a great point in our christmas episode when we were talking about the rigidity now that's like evolved around this rules of seven fish and it's like these people were lucky if they could afford one type of fish. It was invented in the 1980s. Yeah, you, you, eat what you, can, you eat what you can, you know? And I think a lot of these rules, like you say, and like Karima pointed out, these rules have ossified as Italy's ossified. And but, I, but let me interject this, okay? People say Italy has no rules. That is not true. There is no country in the world obsessed with rules like Italy. Yeah. It's just that every Italian thinks that they're exempt from the rules. So everybody else has to follow the rules, just not you, or just not me, or just my, my, my cousin, right? If you go into people's houses in Italy and you have family and you, you hang out in people's houses, they break those rules all the time. Sure. They reheat, quote unquote, pasta. Right. They heat it up again on the stuff. I mean, there's a million different things. Oh, no, no, no. My, my. No, sometimes, you know, they'll cook. A, they'll cook a lot of macaroni in a small amount of water. Like, you know, no, it must be cooked in the six liters of the salt, <laughs> 100 grams per liter. Yeah, that's true on paper. And then you go in somebody's house and they don't follow these rules. And she's usually an old lady with, you know, the macadoodle on her hair and the whole nine yards and the dress and the black apron. And the food's probably the best you, you, you'd yeah, ever have. correct. It's interesting you bring up the pasta water because I was shocked at how many instances on this list, how many aggravations on this list dealt with preparing pasta. So 81% of respondents in Italy said putting pasta in cold water and then boiling it as opposed to bringing it to a boil and then entering the pasta was a no-no. That was the, the second most uh, egregious crime against Italian food that they could find. Then they asked about not adding salt to the pasta. So basically, if you don't add salt to the pasta, that's unacceptable to 53% of Italians, which I guess I thought everybody did, but I, I was sort of surprised that that wasn't more offensive. And then adding plain pasta to a plate or bowl and then adding the sauce afterwards that was sort of 50 50 it was like 48 to 44 uh, this is asinine wait isn't it crazy wait it's, 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 this is a country this is my thing about italy in these polls you have a country in economic decline went off the cliff since the year you have real problems <laughs> depopulation falling birth rate organized crime you have so many real problems uh, uh, uh infrastructure issues uh, roads in the south of italy that are, that are worthy of developing country i mean horror shows and this is what they waste their time. This is what they debate on. Well, in their defense, they were polled. That's true. You know? Yeah, but like, who cares? That's to me. I don't know. This is the kind of stuff I'm like, the world, you know, the sky is falling and we're, you know, we're going to ask English people, Germans, Germans, really? 
I mean, come on. Everybody get in on this poll. I will say there was one that actually caught my attention, though, that I thought would be interesting for us to ask, because I've heard both schools of thought on this. One of the questions was, can you rinse pasta off under cold water after it's cooked to, to sort of stop its boiling? And that was uh, 58% said no, which I've seen plenty of chefs do that, particularly when serving large crowds, because, you know, otherwise it's going to become mushada, right? It's just going to keep cooking itself. That's part of why you take pasta out early. But the one that really caught my attention that I had no answer for, and I've never had an answer for, and it was split very, very evenly, putting oil in the water that you are cooking your pasta in. 44% said it was acceptable. 43% said it was unacceptable. 13% said they didn't know. So, so factor me into the 13%. What do you guys know about that? It's so funny. I was thinking about this when you were going to rules. I asked my grandmother one time, the only time my grandmother ever put oil in the water was when she was making lasagna. She said, because the noodles used to stick together in the water and it was hard to take them out. That's why I'm on the show. I would ask his child. <laughs> That's true. That's what got me here, folks. An annoying kid asking these questions. Yeah. That's the only time. I don't know. We never put oil in the water or oil in the pasta when you're making pasta, like when you're making sure. dough. But yeah, she never, ever, ever put oil in the water. Only she said with lasagna because the noodles will stick and it'll be a disaster. And she put a little, little bit in just so right. it wouldn't stick. That was it. I have to say, like a good host, I read the notes before we came on and I read <laughs> and I read um, I read the list and I I have to say that growing up we didn't do any of those things and we were taught like all of that does that make sense so, so you adhered to these rules growing yeah, up yeah 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 almost every single one of them I was very I was actually surprised because in an effort at self-preservation I don't like to pretend like I'm like Italian, Italian, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mm-hmm. like Rosella, because I don't want to get attacked like Rosella does. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, you know, so I just like, oh, I'm Italian American and I have Italian roots. But I, yeah, if you're seen as like a leader in Italian cooking, then then the knives come out literally. So but yeah, I was surprised. I, w- I did not think that it would have been the case. But yeah. Allow me to comment this. I agree with 99 percent of those rules. I mean, yeah, I agree. I don't think they're inaccurate. I mean, yes, you got to salt the water. Yes, the water has to be boiling. Yes, you should not put the oil in the water. You know, like I, I agree with 99. The only thing I'm a little weak on is the cheese with the fish. And that's an exception to a rule. Yeah. So like my father, my father was very serious about no cheese on fish. Really? Yeah. Like he would get like a look on his face if somebody reached for the Parmesan. My mom had made some kind of pasta, you know, with with fish in it or something. Yeah. He was really like, you don't do that. Like, you can't, you don't do that. It's not done. You know, this is, this is not in the, uh, in the notes, but I'm curious if the audience has any experience around this because my family's been here for a long time and we talked all the last two episodes about Italian American cuisine and its evolution. And my dad told a fascinating story. My grandfather was very, very, um, he was, uh, as, as, uh, our friend Nick Fideli says, a bona forqueta. He loved to eat. He loved to cook. He loved ingredients. And the one time my dad ever saw him get really agitated with my grandmother who cooked, you know, three meals a day all of her life was when my grandfather came home and they were pretty poor. And my grandmother, in a cost saving decision, decided to make cutlets out of chicken instead of veal. And my dad said my grandfather went like apoplectic, like he would, the idea of a chicken cutlet was completely disgusting to him. And he's really? like, if it's not. Yeah, if it wasn't veal, he wouldn't eat it. And I was shocked because my grandfather was never like that. He was the sweetest, kindest guy. And so I'm curious if the audience out there has had an encounter and I and I was reading 
a different book, not Ian's book that we, that we just talked about the last couple episodes. And there was a reference to the idea that chicken cutlets were somehow below Italian Americans, even when they were poor. And I found that really fascinating. It didn't make any sense to me. Wow. We love chicken cutlets. It's like our thing. I, I love chicken cutlets. Yeah. I had them last night at my mother-in-law's house. I didn't know that. Yeah. Isn't that weird? <sighs> my mom makes them all the time. Ro, is that true? No, I, that I think you're lying, John. I'm just <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm just keeping the conversation going. <laughs> yeah. Maybe my grandfather just had a bad day driving the truck and he just like, I don't know, maybe. But yeah, but sometimes who knows with that old time crowd? Yeah. Yeah. It was stuff like I do it. You know, I mean, sometimes some people will do something that other Italian people think is disgusting. Yeah. Because there's a regional difference or in my town, we didn't do it that way or, you know. I mean, my grandparents came from the towns next to each other. I, I don't know. It just it's that doesn't make a difference in Italy. That's true. You know what? But my dad also used to eat spaghetti with a spoon. Yeah, my grandfather's family does. Really? Yep, my Sicilian side. Because that's supposedly you're not supposed to do that. But he used to do it all. He would not like if we were having that and we sat at the table and there wasn't a spoon. It was like a faux pas at his plate. So my great grandfather, my Sicilian great grandfather, who predeceased me, I never met him, but it's still famous in my family even now, my generation that he had a spoon, like basically like a, a serving spoon that was his, this gigantic spoon, and he would not eat his pasta without it. And it had to be at his seat. And I think they, I think my grandfather still has it in his house, at like a shovel, you know, but that and oil in the pasta for me, those kind of rules are like, I really don't have an answer for them. Like Pat said, a lot of these I, I understand, but those I don't because I've seen members of my family do both of those things. Right. Well, I'll give you another one. I often talk about Alberona in Foggia because I have a lot of friends from Alberona. Alberona on festive occasions, as I mentioned previously, recently, um, when they make the ragu sauce, gravy, whatever you want to call it, they'll put a chicken in on festive occasions. Why? Because on holidays, right, when you had that chicken that stopped laying eggs, you'd kill the chicken and that chicken would go into the holiday ragu. Now, you have people that go, no, 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 it is impossible chicken with pasta. What happened in Alberona? But I, I bring up Alberona because they also have a, a different custom. They also define themselves by, they, they call what we would call gavadils, cavatelli, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> um, they make it with uh, water and flour. I don't know if they use semolina or white flour. It depends on the town. Really. So That's how Dolores' mom makes them. With the water and the flour? Yeah. Yep. We never made egg pasta. We still don't. I, I, I barely like know how to do it. It was always water and flour. Salt, obviously. But like, her, her mom's gnocchi are, are double zero flour and water, not even semolina. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Semolina's, semolina came late to the game a lot of South of Italy. But in Alberona, they call cavadillos chicadete, which is used in some parts of uh, Puglia. And they call it mm -hmm. chicadete, and they eat them with a spoon. Mm. And they say, they define themselves like, we're from Alberona, we make chicadete, and we eat chicadete with a spoon, where everybody else around us uses a fork. Now, you really have to understand the Italian psyche to understand that a town defines themselves by a kneading utensil with a regional pasta dish, right? So That's regionally, regionally, everyone makes chikadeta, but in our town, we eat them with a spoon. And so in the next town, you're scustumado, you're some gafona person because you use a spoon. And in their town, you're part of the tribe. So, I mean, where are we going with this? I don't know, but chicken in pasta, am I the only one? Like, it does, I don't like it. It does not do it for me. But that's the, but I'm saying like we, Certain regional foods, it's not our thing, but that's what they do in that town. Phone, hold the phone. My mother makes something that's delicious, Dolores. Yeah? What is it? So it is, uh, I put it in my Sunday dinner cookbook. It's not exactly Sunday dinner. I got a lot of crap from it. From Coming out soon, folks. That's right. 
we're all waiting on pins and needles for this now. Mm-hmm. Well, my Sunday dinner cookbook is really like a love letter to my Italian American upbringing. Uh, more than it is about Sunday dinner, exactly like red sauce. So- not everything has to be red sauce, but my mother makes her chicken and pink sauce. So it, it was like sauteed chicken. And then she would make um, like a pink tomato sauce with a little bit of heavy cream. And it's got like frozen peas and carrots in it. And then she would make that and then she would toss it with pasta. And it was fantastical. Hmm. Did she make this up? Yeah, she made it up because it would be like, you know, a way to eat first and prima secondo in one dish to get me and my brother to eat vegetables too. Yeah, see, I, I can understand both sides of this. Like I understand Dolores's aversion to chicken because I think first of all in my life I exclusively encountered chicken on pasta if like somebody who was not Italian took me to you know Romano's macaroni grill or the olive garden or whatever and it was a you know Sodexo prepackaged pre-grilled chicken breast cut up on top of some you know right. bologna alfredo sauce or whatever and that to me is weird yeah but, but we're, all, we're all on the same page with that and I mean none of us is gonna yeah, not, yeah. we're all gonna have a um unified condemnation of that across the board yeah exactly <laughs> i mean i wouldn't need anything really any of those restaurants i i can't I'd be hard pressed to find something that i thought was good but i can also see again on my sicilian side there's these stories and for those who are uh, animal rights activists please understand this was you know a hundred years ago now but my great-grandmother when the kids were young and you know during the depression so you know 90 years ago uh she would catch songbirds outside and that would be the base for a gravy mm-hmm. on sunday and you know wow this is how they had to eat and and to be honest with you if you think about like i make my grandmother's ragu i like to experiment with it sometimes i use rabbit as the base sometimes i use lamb as the base you know what's to say a, a whole chicken would be bad i don't know maybe i'll try it this weekend well it makes it makes it watery oh okay i say i don't know yeah so you're gonna have you'd have to compensate with a lot of paste why is, chi- why is chicken make it watery but not the rabbit rabbit i don't know that's weird but my now my grandmother's side makes i don't know i often wonder if this was a rabbit dish originally my grandmother used to say her mother used to skeeve rabbit used to remind her of cats uh, that's another side <laughs> for another day but they would cook a, a chicken they would make a tomato sauce for a chicken and they'd put mushrooms in it and that went on top of uh, bulend. I guess you'd call it polenta. Like bulend. That's a piano di sorrento dish. My grand, that was a favorite thing. Now, so if you take out the the spaghetti and you put uh, bulend there, does that change it? Is that you know what I'm saying? This is just it's Italy being Italy. Yeah, I guess that's fair. It's Italy being Italy. But my fear is that this ossification is a bad sign because the more Italy's presence in world culture declines, or new presence with new creativity the more ossified they're becoming. And, you know, like, for instance, like Delizia di Limone, right, which is now a famous Sorrento. People go to Sorrento, Delizia di Limone. Asa. That is my favorite thing in the entire world. I do know that about you. That's true. Right. It's delicious, but it only came out in, like, the 80s, I think, the 60s. I think it was the 80s, but it could have been the 60s. Tiramisu, right, something that comes out of the 60s. You know, so many Italian dishes came out, out, out of the 60s and the 80s. And that's not a bad thing because, you know, a living culture, it's always about growing. You're saying that's not happening much anymore, like the the invention of new dishes coming out of Italy. Yeah, yeah. I said to people, I said to people in Italy, you have all these new flavors in the world today, right? What would my ancestors have done if they had had salmon or ginger? And, you know, people now there's a there's a crowd of Italian Americans now who are going to be like horrified. Like I'm speaking um, some kind of heresy, but you have to remember something. We're only eating macaroni with gravy sauce about 200 years. 
I mean, the tomato doesn't come to the new world after the Columbus, uh, Columbus kind of connects the new world and the old world, right? And the foods that all come across, number one, we, we didn't have beans. All we had was chickpeas and fava. All the beans, ganolina beans, all that stuff came from the new world. And, you know, you, you see things that you just, uh, hot pepper came from the new world. Oh, so much like, oh. of Italian cuisine. Right. And before that pot of gravy, that Sunday sauce, people used to cook the meat that you would put in gravy today, when you put in the sauce, the neck bones and the ribs and everything, sausage, in a soup with green vegetables. That was Manesta Maridata. They took one guy in Naples, had to have the courage to take out the vegetables and cook those same meats in a pot full of tomatoes. What did they say to him? Gennaro, you're crazy. Gennaro, what's wrong with you? Not to mention, think about the fact that for the first hundred some odd years that the tomato was introduced in Europe, it was considered poisonous, right? right. So, so, I mean... And, and, and John was yelling at me. John's yelling at me that I keep saying this Minister Maradada story. But it's such an important story because it's the genius if I think that the ragu came out of Naples for a lot of different reasons, and it's not being nationalistic. No, I, I agree with you on that, yeah. Some Neapolitan had to go against the rules. I'm sure there was, maybe there was somebody back in, in seven, well, let's say about seven, about the time of the American Revolution, so let's really take off. Somebody might say, Gennaro, you're crazy. How can you do that? It's disgusting. Why would you put tomatoes with meat? You know, right. you know uh, so Gennaro, that's, oh my God, you're going to cook uh, neck bones and, and ribs and sausage and a golden, all that stuff with tomato sauce. That's what's going to be If we had had these rigid rules back then, our signature dish, the thing that unites as a people, that Sunday pot of gravy would never have come to existence. If we had this kind of rigidity back then, the delizia di limone, the tiramisu, if, if, we've, if we had chained ourselves to a, of this is how, and France is guilty of that a little bit. Yeah, but Fran- France has always been guilty of that. France has always been guilty, but I think the beauty of Italy is we're a people that you give us ginger and we'll, make, we'll do something with ginger that no one's ever done before. That's just as good as better than anybody else has done. So why don't why, why are we fighting ginger? Why, you know, Lazio, Southern Lazio produces kiwi, right? Yeah. So now I went to Shoprite recently, or maybe it was Whole Foods. They had kiwis from Lazio. Give us your ingredients, and we will be rock stars. And why, Italy, are you afraid? Why are you being intimidated? I agree with you. I think it, 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 they are coming up with new things. I mean, go on Giallo Zafferano. And this is the reason why I fight with so many friggin' people is because they come for me when I do something. But it's like, look at your pee. You guys are making lasagna with uh, La Philadelphia and stuff. And that's okay. Yeah, that's yeah, true. But hold on. Let me say why that is. They come after her because she's an American. Yeah. an American. Right. And Italy's, Italy is a class society. So... If the woman on Giallo Zafarano, who's a big shot, does it, right. we do exactly. on Prova del Cuoco or Sembra Domenico, whatever shows on Rai at the time. If somebody with credentials on, on Rai does it on Rai, then it's okay because it was blessed by the authority who's better than you. But if a housewife missing three of her teeth, 96 years old, in the backwoods of Basilicata, you know, that that has a, a dress down to her ankles in black and a... And a uh, and an apron and her hair tied up or, or some young Italian tries, somebody without credentials tries it, then it's kind of blasphemous. But this is Italy. This is this is why you got a dysfunctional country filled with dysfunctional people. This is Italy. Yeah. And, you know, like to them, it doesn't matter how many books I write. It doesn't matter how 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 big I am or whatever. I just for you people out there who think I'm a big deal. Whatever, no, no, no. There's some Italian guy in flip flops who's unemployed, who's living in his <laughs> <laughs> on my website laughing at me 
<laughs> I got no credentials. I got no credentials. I was like, why? Because I'm a Metagon. New episodes of Old Favorites are on Media Set Italia this May. A new season of Freedom will take you on brand new adventures, amazing you with the mysteries of history and nature, airing Wednesday nights. Test your smarts with the primetime edition of popular quiz show Avanti Un Altro every Thursday night with host Paolo Bonolis. And don't forget to catch the end of this round of Amici on May 15th and the best of edition on May 22nd. Plus new episodes of Uomini e Donne, Forum, Cotto e Mangiato, Verissimo, and more. Mediaset Italia brings you the best television entertainment from Italian channels Canale 5, Italia 1, and Rete 4. So you'll never miss a moment from Italy. Call your local television provider and ask about Mediaset Italia today. I want to dedicate a piazza in Naples. I want to build a monument to the Neapolitan, who was the guy who put the first short ribs in a... In a pot of tomatoes and decide to put it over macaroni smart you're not kidding this guy deserves a monument for the courage for the courage that's all it's done. i'm gonna call the monument of courage <laughs> for the courage the monument to culinary courage it's true because yeah, everybody yelled at him because they're tiny they're all yelling well that's like you, you know I, I a lot of these have been personal for me and i love the fact that we had some come up that weren't on this list like like eating macaroni with a spoon that's like deep in my inner psychology because i've had both sides of it but one that i for me, the one of the few times that I actually took offense to something was, and I could tell this on the air because Nicole doesn't listen. <laughs> Nicole's cousin came from Italy, and it was a cousin that she she's pretty close to her cousins over there, and we see a lot of them frequently. But this was one that was like a cousin of her cousin, and you know, we we didn't see her much, whatever. And so let me set the table by saying she spoke English, and she was getting her doctorate in music psychology of music so she was like one of those italians who was like really up there and out there in the intellectual like you know mm. ho, 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 look at me right <laughs> so she comes to new york and my father-in-law says look you got to take your cousin out like you know just spend a day whatever i think nicole met her once and so we were super busy so we took her to the food hall at the plaza hotel and i figured you know everybody go and order what you want right we'll just sit so it was probably like three o'clock in the afternoon and Nicole had a wooly for a piece of cheesecake and a cappuccino and some other savory. So she got all of them because it's a food hall. And uh, her cousin, who's now spending, we've taken her out, we've taken, walked her around, whatever. She was so scandalized that she went on this diatribe about how we Americans have too much abundance and this is disgusting. And how could you combine? I forget what the other thing she had was, but these three things together and you had a cappuccino after breakfast and oh, I mean, and it was like mind boggling to me, the, the lack of appreciation for the hospitality, first of all, because I did, I did pay for her meal. But then it brought me back to the cappuccino after breakfast thing, because that doesn't exist here. Obviously, most Italian Americans who go back for the first time have no idea that this third rail of uh, cappuccino after breakfast is there. And, you know, for most families, it's fine. Like we went to my in-laws for macaroni yesterday and everybody had coffee after my wife made herself a cappuccino. That's what she likes. This is the land of liberty, right? I was actually surprised that drinking cappuccino after the meal was unacceptable to only 55% of the Italian respondents because I've had so many people talk about that. I've had so many experiences in Italy where they talk about that, like it's such a huge violation of the sanctity of Italian life. I don't know. Where do you guys fall on the 
I, I think you hit the nail on the head. What did she say? You Americans, you have so much abundance because they go after Americans on food because it's the one thing they still have on us. And I, I think that's, oh, you have so much, you are bonded. You know, like, all right, it's my fault that I have a country with a lot of food. That's cheap. Yeah. I mean, you know, what do you want me to do? Should I not? Should I not eat it? You know, and you, your food is superior. So don't you feel better than me? Like you got this. Would you order a cappuccino after a dinner in Italy? I wouldn't. I would feel embarrassed. No. I would, out of embarrassment, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, they've made it, but you could have a macchiato, which is an espresso with a dollop of milk on it. <laughs> right. That's true. So we're going to make it different. But Italians also obsessed with digestion. That's very, very you know, true. Too. My, yeah. my grandma used to tell me, you eat too fast, you're going to die of indigestion. This I, I got the same thing. What are you going to electric chair? You're going to you're going to kill yourself. And I, I hit and I used to feel I used to be afraid as a child that if I was going to die, like, I ate mm-hmm. that fast. I'm going to die right now because this is the kind of a baggage you have when you grow up with these people. And then I get to high school one time and I go back at my grandma. I said, but who do you know that's ever died of indigestion? And she fell silent. <laughs> and she was like angry. Like, how dare you like like there really is a Santa Claus, Virginia. You know, like, why are you doing this to me? And there was like this moment of silence because it's just accepted that you just you can't go in the pool after you eat. There's this yeah. you can't leave your house with a wet head. Swallow raw raw macaroni. You're gonna grow right. Worms. Yeah. You, you want to see my mother go berserker? Watch a little kid with sandals and no socks. Because if you have feet with no <laughs> oh, socks, gosh. bare feet with no socks, you're gonna die of pneumonia. You're gonna kill your child, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's just like we're like the Amish people. There's a set of rules that we set up in some time. Yeah. Pick a year, and those rules are now. Um, written in stone yeah so this is the world this is the the mentality that you're dealing with in my opinion at least you guys think there's any italian american rules or we're just we we are the beautiful melding of the of the classic tradition and the experimental all right i i don't know if this is a rule i have um, a close family member who has a friend let's do it let's put it that way and this friend is like third generation italian american grew up in jersey and my family member is the child of immigrants who also spent time in Italy and went to school there, et cetera. And her friend will argue with her that it's not, like for instance, prosciutto, it's prosciutto. And it's not mozzarella, it's mutz. So like she will adamantly dig in that the right word for Italian foods is the Italian American slang. Yeah, but it is. Prosciutto is the Neapolitan word. It's it's two different languages. All right. Maybe that's a bad example. But I'm not giving but... I, I, that's fair, but I will not give anybody a pass on Mutz. That's the No, I, no, Mutz no, is not no word makes me and, and Gabagool. Th- Gabagool is not the word for Yeah, but if you take the Star Ledger, the New York Times of New Jersey, had an article that some Italian American uh Italian language teacher wrote during the Soprano uh, years when this stuff was constantly in our papers. Right. And she had that arrogance of, Oh, I, I know better than you. And she went through all the pronunciations of words like gabagool, which comes in now. That's gabagool. Right. I'm sure that's the way your mother would say it. Right. And brazut is the Neapolitan pronunciation. And she went through and she attacked all these pronunciations and she wrote her prosciutto. And my argument is that, these were the dialect, quote unquote, local language expressions that date back to the fact that all the people who came here spoke as their first language, not Italian. Most of them couldn't speak Italian at all, couldn't even read and write their own language or whatever, their state language. So they used the dialect words. The reason why it's so associated with New York and New Jersey is 
New York and New Jersey was all people from Campania, not the, everybody, but it was a very majority stronghold. The way that Philadelphia is, is mostly people from Abruzzo or New Orleans, people from Sicily. But it's all part of an evolutionary, non-ossified culture. But it's still it's still not the word for the item. Like you, you cannot argue with someone who is much more native to the language that that's the word. It is a word. I'm not saying it is not like a valid word. Yeah, but but Brazut is a cultural word. word. But Brazut is a Neapolitan. It's a word. word. It's a word in a different language. It's a word right, in a different language. Brazut is Brazut is the Neapolitan word. Yeah, prosciutto is the Italian word. Yeah, I mutz mean, is some animal that evolved in New Jersey that I've never used. Right, right. It annoys me, but what am I going to do? Say, okay, well now you can't have the sandwich. But Pat, would you look at an Italian who said ricotta and argue with them that it's not ricotta, it's arigotto? Would you argue with them adamantly that they have the wrong word? No, no. you I'm, would say. Do you want? I need another T-shirt, another cup. I am a gastronomic linguistic uh, libertarian. I'm not I'm not going to go after you because you use one word or, you know, why do people in the Midwest, Italians in the Midwest have pronunciations of foods that sound very strange to me. But if you look back to the founding culture, if you're in an area that was all Sicilian, Sicilian puts lots of I's and O's on things. Mm-hmm. That's what they that stayed around from them. So when you hear like certain pronunciations, Yes, if you're in the middle of Midwest America and they say something a certain way, who was the group of people who were the, the foundings of the Italian colony? And if they were from Calabria, parts of Calabria, they're from Sicily, you're going to have lots of E's and U's on, th- on things. And that's just who they are. And I, I just think that life is too short. The world has got enough of problems going on that Italy, Italy should be worried about the fact that none of their young people can get jobs and stay in their hometowns. You want you want to have a priority list? Yeah, but I, I, but wait a minute. I, I get the I get Dolores's point though. Like that we get what Dolores is trying to say, which is not knowing the argument why. That's what look, this is why we have this show, right? I mean, if you're one of those people, because I see it on online all the time. It's a big social media joke, you know, Gabagool or Capicola, and like you have all these Italians doing these like condescending lessons. Like we are teaching them. You're here in America, by the way, teaching Americans how to say. And it, it infuriates me because I understand the anthropology, the linguistic anthropology of why we say those words. And I grew up with Italian speaking grandparents who used those words because that was from the Neapolitan that they inherited, right? That they learned either being born there or, or even born here. So Cavatelli was a Gavadil in my house and all these things. I understand the linguistic anthropology behind it. If you're going to defend it, defend it with fact. That's why we have these episodes to give you as much fact as we can to sort through it and give you the understanding of why we do the things we do. And then it's a different argument. If you're just going to go out and yell at an Italian that they're wrong and you're right, yeah. you know, it's boring. There's, there's no there's no value to that. Right. right. But, but I want a conversation about something new. Right. I want to see the young Italian chef who takes ginger and does something with it. Like how the Romans, the ancient Romans. Right. Really, if you want to put the the, the population that basically took the, the geography of the Italian peninsula and made it into whatever our nation it is today, that, that they were kind of the founders of that, if you want to take it, right? The Romans had a lot more spices that they used that they got from India, right? That came through the trade routes, stuff like cumin and stuff that they used in cooking that died out in Italian cooking because um, the Islamic Christian crusader wars that went on, India was cut off. So what happened is that those spices became super expensive spices from the Middle East, and they died out in Roman cooking because you just couldn't afford them. 
So are we going to have an Italian, uh, another one of these Italian Gestapo-esque food people come off and say, well, you know, cumin is not part of our tradition. Well, again, my friend used to have a question about the Amish all the time. And it's, it's, it's nothing against them. They're lovely people. But did they have like a big meeting one day and say, okay, we're going to stop the clock in 1840, July 1st, 1840. Yeah. Now, if you invent something on July 2nd, we're not, we're not going with that. You got to get it all in by July 1st, right? right. We got to ossify. And then, all that. so my thing is like, well, when do we ossify? So do, are the Romans disqualified now? Because they, you know, look at some of those Roman dishes. It was a completely different gastronomy. Completely different. Yeah. Gastronomy I mean, evolves, things come, things go. And I just I want to see an Italy that's thriving where you'd say, okay, we're going to use cumin in, in, in a certain way. Because my see, my belief is that the Italians, what makes them different is they just it's the creativity of the Italian people. And I think that what made them creative was Italians don't think in the box. So the Italian mentality with rules are there should be rules, just don't apply them to me. Mm. So you have a country of about 60 odd million people who think that, that none of the rules apply to me. But the beauty of that is it's made it a creative country where people do things that you know, to be creative, you got, you got to be inventive, right? You can't be restrained. And I see as their cultural decline accelerates, they're becoming more ossified and they're going to stop the kid who's going to make the delizia di limone. No, we don't do that here. Yeah. You know, ricotta per, something else that came out of the 80s. We don't do that here. That is totally what I'm against. I would tolerate a few olive gardens to see something new come out of Italy. I can tell you, though, it's a good, it's a good spot for us to wrap because you actually got to where I got to after I digested this study and this article, which was I was actually pleasantly surprised to see how much of the population that responded was OK with a lot of this stuff. And it, and it said to me, maybe we are seeing that maybe. I mean, you know, again, I'm not one for ketchup on pasta or pineapple on pizza, but it's good to see that perhaps Italy is moving in the direction where that creativity can be celebrated and, and taken in. I would like to inject something. I have a friend whose family. Um, left Veneto and, and went into Germany and opened up gelato, gelaterias in Germany. And she'll go ballistic about the fact that the Germans just have a commitment to bizarre flavors. So um, when her family went to Germany, the Germans would be like, um, one was called poof. I think that's the Italian word for Smurf. Am I correct? Hey, poofy. They, then they yeah, serve poofy, them in Italy right? a lot. Yeah. Right. And sh- they wanted a blue, just yeah. a blue food coloring gelato. Yeah. And our family's like, no, no, no. And they fought. And they eventually gave in because they went to Germany not to um, evangelize them on gelato, but to make money. Yep. So there are some parts of, of, of European countries who are kind of dismissive of, they're dismissive of Italy and they're dismissive of Italian food. And they're like, if I want to put a pineapple on my pizza, I will do it. So when with a British newspaper bringing up those rules, I think that's much more of a European issue than an American issue, in my sense. This mm. is more of a European conversation than an American conversation. So I don't think this really applies to us in a lot of ways. That's interesting. I think America is a different animal than than. And again, this article came from a British newspaper. I don't know. I think for me, these rules as they apply in the Italian American sphere, right? Like for me, it's about what it means to go back and what it means to sort of fit in and be part of both this Italian American identity here and an Italian identity there. And I've always found it very fascinating that the stuff that I didn't grow up with, whether or not I adopted it and put it into my life in order to fit in more. And some of them, some of them I certainly did, you know, and there's a duality to, to an identity like this, particularly when you're passionate about your ethnic identity, like all of us are. And like, I'm assuming a great portion of our audiences. So I very much enjoy having these conversations. 
we would love to hear from everybody out there as to how important you think some of these rules are. And if we've missed any that you think apply to you, either Italian or Italian-American, we'd love to hear about them. It's great to have these conversations. I will point out that we will not be with you guys next week for Memorial Day. We have the holiday off, and uh, I hope everybody has great plans for it. And I hope everybody out there in Italian-American podcast land has a very happy, healthy, and safe Memorial Day weekend and comes back right after to join us for another episode. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.